0: Welcome to another episode of Consider This, where we are going through a mini-series called Becoming Christian, looking at stories of people at uh, Sunnybrook Christian Church uh, who have come to know the Lord in some very amazing ways. And uh, regardless, we are so thankful to God for their stories and what God has done um, in and through them. And today we're going to be talking with Jordan Weston. He is on staff here at Sunnybrook, is one of our uh, facilities team and uh, does a great job here. And so I hope that you enjoy his story today. Okay, well, we will just get right with it. Um, Jordan, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, we aren't going to get into all the backstory yet, but you you are here at Christian Church. You work here at the church. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing now. So I'm
1: married, got two kids, a 12 and a 10-year-old daughters, and I've got a little boy on the way. Been married for 13-ish years. Um, I work at the church now. I've previously done construction for a while i was a youth minister for a while and i was in the military but now i just uh do anything that's needed around here and
0: still do a little construction on the side okay and so you uh admittedly uh you are a sports dad i remember in the uh, first staff meeting that we had you talked about yeah we're really into basketball and i did have an opportunity to go to one basketball game of your daughter. And I did see you are really into basketball, yeah. Jordan. You've got a lot of that going on right now.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, been a big topic at our house lately, <laughs> on how I can uh, act more like a Christian and not get threatened to thrown out of games. Okay. I've yet to be thrown out of one this year, but there has been multiple threats. So. Okay.
0: There's still part of the season left, so there's still that opportunity. Yeah. Okay, yep, There's
1: still a few games left, so I've
0: got a chance. <laughs> okay, Cool. Well, uh, so you work here at the church. Has it been a year? How long has it been? It's been almost nine months. Okay. So, And you are definitely multi-talented and skilled. You have a, a lot of gifts helping us out, fix things around here. Obviously, you do things on the side in your own business as well with construction and different things like that. So you are, are one of our gifted ones, man, that, that fixes a lot of things around here, and we appreciate it. But... So that's a little bit about you. Um, you've gone to Sunnybrook now for how long? Um, we started coming here 2018 okay. when we couldn't make
1: it to Fairfax, and then full-time in 2019 we started coming. Okay, and you live out
0: in, near live in Glencoe? We live Glencoe. Okay, cool. So um, in the series, Becoming Christian, one of the things that we're doing is we're just going into people's stories and just having people tell their story about what God has done in their life and uh, what they've been doing to respond to what what God has done, sometimes at radical uh, points in their lives, and then really each and every day responding to that faithfully. So uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background? Obviously, you work here, but I just from the beginning um we I guess I'll preface this with uh that uh, we did have an opportunity of getting to know each other at a at an earlier time. Um, I was actually the youth minister at the church that you went to when you were in middle school. Yep. so we'll get into that for, for just in just a little bit, but let's just go ahead and kind of start from the beginning so i uh
1: I hope this can be an inspiration to parents first of all, um my parent. Uh, especially my mom had a lot to do with the way that I turned out, even Mm -hmm. with some crazy turns along the way. But uh, it started out with my parents. When I was born, my dad was a preacher at the time. So I had kind of the preacher child life until I was between four and five years old. And then there was some infidelity that led to a divorce. So -hmm. then I became the parent of a single mother or the child of a single mother. And anyone that's been through that knows that that doesn't come with a whole lot of finances. So Mm -hmm. we lived on the Bottom side of poverty for five or six years, and my mom kind of just pulled us through. We did a lot of foster care at the time, and so I learned how to live with lots of different people and deal with people from different circumstances. And then when I was about 10 years old, my mom got remarried to a guy that lived in Newcastle, just outside of Oklahoma City. We were Church of Christ at the time, and they were Pentecostal, so that gave a Different dynamic. We didn't have a TV in our house or a radio unless it was uh, Adventures
0: and Odyssey is all we listened to at the time. Yes. Okay. But good wholesome stuff. Uh huh. VHS Adventures and Odyssey. Yeah. Yes. Bible programs only. (laughs) Yeah. So it was. It was definitely a culture shock.
1: I was homeschooled at this point, so my mom was very kept us very sheltered. Um, Definitely taught us lots of Bible. We knew, I knew all the books of the Bible before I could count to 10, probably, just part of our household. Um, So when my mom and stepdad got married, it kind of led to a little bit of spiritual finding ourselves. We bounced around at a couple of different churches for Mm -hmm. them to kind of find a happy medium, and that's where we ended up at Newcastle Christian Church, and that's where I met Drew.
0: Yeah. I can't remember. I mean, I have... I don't know. Sometimes a pretty vivid memory of the past, but I, we were not actually meeting in a church. We didn't have a church building of yes. our own at the time, and we were meeting in what was the, uh, an old town hall, con- I think, condemned right? city hall, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or should have been condemned. Um, and uh, I can remember one day we were looking for more classroom space, and we thought that this door that was locked was a closet, and then we opened up the door. I was like, no, these were stairs going upstairs. And I remember, I think we had that middle school, like, Sunday morning class up there on the right. Yeah, up in the uh, up room. to the right of the <laughs> stairs, and it was just, like, this real creepy place. And uh, But I can remember you during those days, light blonde hair. You had light blonde yep. hair and really, really quiet is, I, is, is how I remember you. Yep. But I could see that, you know, whenever I was teaching or whatever, you would be listening and really engaged but uh, kind of a a quieter young man at that point in your life. Yeah, at
1: this point in my life, I actually thought that I was going to become a preacher, as weird as that is. My grandpa was a preacher at that time, and I had done a preacher boy competition at the (laughs) Kaimishi Mountains uh, Christian Mission. This is great, yeah. And so at that point, I thought, okay, preacher is the route I'm going to take. We weren't even really sure on the religion we were at that point, which is kind of weird looking back now, thinking that we were So we were doing like
0: independent Christian church, Pentecostal
1: A little church of Christ, yeah. okay, right. But I thought at that point, my grandpa was a preacher. Seemed like he had everything figured out. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what I wanted to do. Okay. Um. So Newcastle's where I started my public school journey. Okay. Um, homeschooling was great. I was way ahead whenever I joined public school, so that was good. I wasn't a dumb homeschool kid that showed okay. up and didn't know anything. <laughs> but. Uh, It came with a whole lot of challenges because I was so sheltered. I kind of got exposed to the world, and some people take it different than others, and I kind of just went wild and thought, sweet, this is awesome. Let's try everything. Okay. So that led to not having the best friends. I think it was seventh grade that I started public school because I couldn't play sports doing homeschool anymore unless I was in public school. And uh, at that point, some of the friends I was hanging out with smoked weed and drank beer and... Did things like that, and so I kind of got introduced to a new world that I'd never experienced before, and I definitely took it and ran with it.
0: They didn't do that in Adventures and Odyssey. No,
1: that was not an Adventures and Odyssey thing an that option. I learned. And so this was all new. This was all—it was yeah. new and exciting. Okay. Um, so that happened—lasted for probably two years. At the end of my eighth grade year, we moved to Pink— kind of get away from the city life
0: my mom we have to give the people some context here okay pink this is in oklahoma this
1: is in oklahoma and it's a it's an actual town
0: it is an actual town
1: it's kind of between tecumseh and norman south Um, of shawnee yep right there camp sooners all that's there tornadoes yes
0: yes okay So
1: you moved to pink yeah so we moved to pink um this was between my eighth and ninth grade year and so that summer i spent that summer with my grandparents in fairfax and had not necessarily great influences there. Got to kind of run around and do my own thing. They tried to reel me in, and then come back after the house was ready for us to move into and all that, started a new school, and I started at Macomb, which is a little tiny nothing school. Suburb of Pink. Yeah, suburb of Pink. (laughs) After, I think, three months of going to school there, my mom was there as a substitute teacher one day, and there was a big fight at school, and people were pulling knives out. And so she's like, this is not the school I want my kids in. So she pulled us out of that school and put us in Little Axe. And when we were going to school at Little Axe, I got back into the same group of friends. The people
0: that were doing all the wrong things are way more accepting than people doing the right things, it seems like. And at this point, are you... um Are you going to church at this point still or just kind of moving around? So we moved around, but my mom is one to never miss a Sunday. And if
1: you're living in her house, then you will not miss a Sunday. And so I don't know that I ever missed a Sunday unless I was deathly ill my entire life until I was kind of on my own or Wednesday for that matter. So My mom definitely drug me me there, but I learned lots along the way, whether I realized it or wanted to. So it was definitely good. I encourage you to drag your kids as far as you can. I uh, didn't respond 100% well at the time, but I think my response
0: worked out in the end. Yeah, something about that pattern. I see that a lot in in people's lives, even when things seem to be flying out of control in other areas of life, kind of this persistence of of faith that is there, um, that God seems to be doing something even in the background at at that point. Yeah.
1: It shows, uh, it kind of shows me. Throughout my life, as I've tried to become more of an adult, the importance of your faith and the importance of going to church and having a community because my mom pushed it so hard when I was mm. a kid. Cool. So, so that's around 8th grade. Around Little Axe. Uh, yeah, around 8th grade. So my freshman year at Little Axe, I was still doing the wrong thing, smoking weed from time to time, drinking a little bit of beer. Um, I was big into hunting and fishing, kind of like I am now. And so while I was hunting one day, um, we lived in, like, 20 acres that we had but we were surrounded by woods and i was on somebody else's property hunting like like you do sometimes <laughs> and uh, i stumbled across a big patch of weed that one of our neighbors was growing and okay. so that led to a we talked about this before this yeah, isn't led to this a financial is an interesting endeavor.
0: curve in the story yeah and so
1: at this point i uh you found a bunch of weed i found a bunch of weed okay it, some of it was growing and some of it was hanging in trees already. And so I'm like, okay, this is, this is interesting. This is not, okay. uh, not what I was expecting to find. Okay. And so as a kid, I just decided I've seen movies. I know what happens when you have a bunch of weed. You sell it and make lots of money. Okay. So that's what I decided I was going to do. And so for the next few years, I decided that was going to be my job per se. I always had something I was doing for money. Kind of had the hustler mentality since I was raised poor for a while. Figuring things out. You know yep. how to figure things just out. Just kind of yeah. figuring things out. So yeah. I sold uh newspaper subscriptions from the time I was fourteen. So I kind of had that salesman drive already. Mm-hmm. Had that hustler mentality. <laughs> but applied to a different area. Yeah, I just applied it in a different area in life. So I had bought my it's own. It's like the middle of the night. 16. You're going
0: out and collecting all this weed. So I would just like... go
1: hunting and while I was out there hunting, I would just lean my gun up and I'd be out there processing weed. You were hunting a lot. But this was my life from the time I was probably 10 years old. If there was woods and I had a gun and that's where I was at. Okay. Even without a gun, I'd go out there with a machete, anything I thought I might be able to kill something with. I was about it.
0: Okay. So you're now dealing. So now
1: I'm dealing, um, still playing sports. So I sort of tried to identify as an athlete, Tried to identify as the cool, edgy mm-hmm. kid that did the wrong things, I guess. Just trying to find trying to find my group still once I got in public school, bouncing around. Still went to church. At church, I still did all the things I was supposed to do. We were going to Harmony Christian Church in Choctaw mm. at that time. Um, a good group of guys there. Wow. They dealt with me through a lot of the issues that I had. Mm. Um, so probably my sophomore year, or partway through my junior year, my mom decided enough was enough. She'd caught me selling drugs too many times. She'd caught me that weekend at a football game, and I was in the parking lot selling drugs instead of at the park, instead of at the football game. And so it was time for me to find a new location to live. And so I moved to Fairfax, where my grandparents and my dad lived. Uh, my mom thought my grandparents would be a good example for me. Um, they definitely would have been if I'd have gave them a chance. On the way to Fairfax, my car actually broke down on the way there between Fairfax and Ralston, so I made it all but five miles of the way there. I got out, got a ride to my house, got some help from a friend, got them to come back and drop me off. Whenever we got back for them to drop me off to get my stuff, there was a cop parked behind my car, and they had found a bunch of weed in my glove box that I was bringing from Little Axe to Fairfax so I would have something to start back up with at my new location. Yes. So I started off my new move on Se- a great Second foot.
0: location, expanding operations. Yeah. So yeah.
1: my first, uh, first week at Fairfax, I spent going to first time offenders class every Thursday. So week one in Fairfax, I was already going to first time offenders class. Okay. It was a great start to a new school and trying to have a new identity, starting off with everyone knowing that I was a troublemaker.
0: Uh-huh. Interesting, the identity piece there. The other thing that I kind of know about your story a little bit is that it seems like while you were raised and, and, uh, kind of moved around to a, a lot of different places, you did have sort of, a you know, roots of faith, I think in Glencoe, correct? Yeah. With some grandparents and other, in addition to, um, kind of your description of your mom always bringing you to church, yeah, you had extended family that had been faithful correct yeah, and so to my Jesus.
1: my grandpa in Fairfax actually was a preacher there from 1966 until he died in 2010 so okay. he was a preacher there my whole life so that was always a source of my faith he's the one that helped me through my baptism decision and he's helped me through most most things in my life that was my mentor that I fell to once times got too tough for me to screw it up
0: on my own hmm. um so that was so you're, you're in Fairfax at this point. You're doing this first-time offenders class.
1: Yep, trying to kind of get creating my Creating this right. new identity. My grandpa and my grandma definitely were trying to help me. They helped me get a vehicle, tried to keep me with a job, kept me playing sports instead of trying to run the streets doing the things that I wanted to do. But, you were
0: wrestling? You played so I was sports? playing
1: football there, and I played golf at uh, Woodland. Okay, okay. So, Kind of interesting. Our golf coach let us drink beer. So that's why I chose golf. But it was another one of those great decisions. Okay. We might be editing that yeah. out of this podcast. No, I'm just
0: joking. That's okay. So the golf
1: coach let you drink beer? Yeah. He, so, he'd only graduated like two years before. So he was okay. basically our friend, not a coach. He's your buddy. Yeah. Okay.
0: So you're in eighth, ninth grade in there. They're getting you a car. You're there. They're so, yeah. This, this point. is my junior year that, okay. I got,
1: that I moved in there. Gotcha. And so I got, they got me, helped me get a car. Uh, they would pay my insurance as long as I kept a job and so I kept some side work that I was always doing. I worked for a farmer building fences for a while. Uh started going to Votech and so I did auto body at Votech. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed it, but Votech led me to more awesome friends that um, led me down some bad paths. Okay. And so that's whenever I was introduced to painkillers. Was at Votech? Mm-hmm. And that started me down a whole nother path of uh, painkiller addiction and so The second half of my junior year and all of my senior year, I had a pretty heavy painkiller addiction, and then I even got supplies to where I could start dealing painkillers too to kind of keep my hobbies afloat, essentially. Okay. This was not necessarily a good time in my life, but because my grandpa was a preacher, I still at least was in church hearing the Word. and It was penetrating whether I realized it or not, even though I was trying to keep it out. I was still definitely learning things I found out later on in life. Um, spring break of my senior year was kind of a defining moment. Everybody was already deciding what colleges they were going to go to, figuring out what their life was really going to look like. I was still kind of just lost because I was the guy that just played sports when there was a sport to be played and the rest of the time partied or sold drugs to help other people party. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at this point, I decided that the military would probably be the best choice. I had other family that had been in the military prior and I had talked to the recruiter a bunch, seemed like a good opportunity. And so two weeks after graduation, I was at basic training, kind of starting that chapter of my life. Okay. And which branch in the military you serving in? I was in the army and thought this would be, this was another chance for me to chase a new identity, try to, I knew what I was doing wasn't necessarily right, but once you get stuck in an identity, it's so hard to escape it. It seems like that's just who you are, so you embrace it instead of trying to change it. Yeah. Kind of a common theme, right? Yeah. yeah, kind of through my whole life, I just embraced my identity instead of defining my identity myself. Okay. So the military was good. It kind of shaped me up as far as learning how to listen to people. You're kind of forced to listen to people. I needed the discipline that it gave me. Um, I didn't continue to go to church whenever I was in the military. Once I was on my own, I kind of just did my own thing. In basic training, I did a Bible study, but basic training's a pretty scary place whenever you're a young kid. And Wait, just so I can be aware of this. Like what year is this? This was oh six. Okay. So two thousand six. Okay. And so I did a little bit of Bible study and in basic training by AIT. I wasn't going at all. Um I got to Fort Polk in December of oh eight or of '0. 06, I guess, December of 06, I got to um, Fort Polk, and that's right after Katrina had happened. So I immediately got mm. thrown into Katrina relief and started doing adult things, which was good, kind of helped shape me into a man. I got a good sense of brotherhood, which was awesome, but it helped to pull me more away from the church because it was showing me that this was the family that I needed. Okay. Um, so I kind of kept the trend of partying. I didn't do drugs because the military drug tested, but... Uh, the military kind of issues you a bottle of alcohol when you sign up, and so it's just kind of part of the culture to do a lot of drinking. And so that was kind of my life yeah. at that
0: point. And so you, you've you mentioned this a little bit, this idea of brotherhood and what you found in the military later, what you found uh, in like a mo- group of guys that rode motorcycles together. Um, and at times, that things that you—like uh, a brotherhood that you didn't see or have in the church, but then— uh, you mentioned just a minute ago your time at Harmony, talking about there was, there was men there that really molded yep. me and helped me work through things. So there was this sense of brotherhood that you desired. Yeah, right? and
1: Brian Sturtz is the guy's name that was the youth minister there, and he kind of showed me that that's what church was supposed to be. Hmm. He really pulled us together, but then I struggled to see that at other churches after right. that point. And so I thought, well, maybe this wasn't church. Maybe this was just Brian. Maybe he just happened right. to be a good dude.
0: Right. Um, so you're you're in the military at this point. you doing Katrina relief. Um, you have this sense of brotherhood, and then um, you get deployed. Is yeah. Correct. Okay.
1: So they were there was another unit on base that was looking for volunteers. They needed some more mechanics. They were six mechanics short, and they were about to deploy. And I thought I joined the military not to just sit around and fix vehicles, but this is kind of why I joined. So I yeah. signed up to go with that unit, and so. I deployed with 814th Engineers uh, in May of 07, and we went to MNF West in Iraq, kind of the western province, and we did convoy security and route clearance for a bridge unit. Okay, And so for 15 months, that was kind of my life, was living over there doing Army things. I was a gunner on a convoy security team, so most of the time I was behind a 50 Cal on a Humvee. I was the mechanic, but he said, if stuff breaks down, we got to stop, and then you can get out and fix it. <laughs> and so that was kind of the life that I lived. It was really fun for a young kid with needing adrenaline rushes and right. needing to escape things. But February of '08, I guess, was kind of my defining moment while I was in the military. At this point, we were doing um, a bridge project in Baghdad, and so we were pulling. We'd been doing security for about 72 hours while they were building this bridge. We kept getting mortar fire the whole time, coming in and out, and so it was just we knew it was a hot zone, stuff we were constantly dealing with. And while we were out on mission one day, there was some, a firefight happening, and we were kind of shooting back and forth doing— just our normal patrol stuff. And during all this, I had some issues with my gun and I had an explosion and shrapnel from the gun stuck in my leg and stuck my driver in the back of the neck. Okay. And so at this moment, I just see blood kind of gushing from my leg, um, kind of freaking out, not knowing what's going on. There's still shots going on everywhere. So I dropped down out of the turret. My truck commander starts putting a pressure dressing on me, give me a shot of morphine, get the shot of morphine, they handed me a saw 249, and I got back up in the turret, standing on one leg, trying to kind of shoot and pull security while they did first aid on our driver. Um, once they got the driver taken care of, we got a new driver in the truck and got him put in the back seat. We started at that point going back toward the base that we were at. And so going back toward um, back toward the base, I kind of stood up there most of the time. The whole time I was up there, just my whole life was flashing before my mm-hmm. eyes kind of trying to figure out what was really happening. I thought I was bleeding out. I could feel myself getting weak. Um, And all that was running through my mind was a scripture that my mom had emailed me a few days before. You don't have real great communication, so I'm not even sure when she had sent it, but the scripture basically was saying um, it's worse for a person after knowing, knowing what's right and turning away from it than it is for someone who never knew what was right. And so at that moment just all these scriptures, all these lessons from Drew and from Brian and from my grandpa Hmm. just started kind of running through my mind that I had learned. And so I kind of decided at that point that I was going to dedicate the rest of my life to making sure that other kids didn't go through the same thing I went through. Not even really knowing if I was going to make it out, I kind of thought maybe right. this is my, hey, God, this is my
0: golden ticket. I tried oh. to do the right thing I'm in this here. Yeah. yeah. And you, uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, but uh, you said that your mom, obviously throughout the years, and kind of this description of dra- dragging you to church even when yeah. you didn't want to go, she was sending you things on a regular basis. Yeah. License.
1: And so I knew that she was praying for me. Every yes. time I talked to her or got a letter from her, she was always praying. Anytime I got letters or emails, they always had scripture in them. Okay. So she was constantly praying over me, even though I was astray, doing the wrong thing. And this was not like a two-week hiatus from going to church. This was sure. a year-long thing, and you could definitely see the struggle that was in my life. So, Yeah,
0: and she was faithful,
1: too. And she she definitely stayed faithful through the whole thing. Wow. So after the shrapnel incident, three days later, I guess, I was in the hospital and was able to kind of get up, and start walking again. I wasn't really sure at that time if I was even going to be able to walk. The shrapnel ended up laying sideways against my femoral artery instead of cutting it. So it was just a miracle that I didn't die. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of one of those defining moments, time to change. The worst part, I think now looking back, is that I wanted to help other people not make mistakes instead of starting to follow God at that point Mm -hmm. myself. I think I thought that I was unsavable. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why it took my curve so long to come back all the way to where I am now because I hadn't forgiven myself.
0: Okay. So at that point you're in the hospital. Are you coming home soon after this? No. Did you stay there for I got the opportunity
1: to come home, but we only had about six months left, five months left in our deployment, and we'd already lost a few gunners. And so I decided to stay with the rest of my team and finish out the deployment. So we built a little harness for the turret so I could sit in a harness until my leg healed (laughs) up and I continued gunning the rest of the time. So that was in February of 08, and we came home August of 08. Wow. So at that point, I was getting my medical medical discharge. They decided the Army didn't want me anymore once I got back, so I was kind of doing the time to exit, finding my exit strategy. Yeah. Um, I had started going to church because of my promise to God, but like I said, I was still trying to do it for other people, not necessarily for myself or for God at that point, point. Mm. and I tried lots of different churches. There wasn't in Louisiana, there's not really Church of Christ or Christian churches like I was used to. Okay. So I bounced from Pentecostal to Southern Baptist to Baptist to Catholic and yes. everything in between.
0: Right. So you're in Louisiana? In Louisiana at this okay. point. And then at some point, you get introduced to who is now your wife. Yeah,
1: so... I, uh, during this med board process, I wasn't necessarily doing the right thing. I was going to church, but that was about the extent of my Christian behavior at that point. I was still trying to find a church, like I said, and trying to find that brotherhood. And so I had the guys that I deployed with, and we had that strong bond from all the things that happen when you deploy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, a good friend of mine was having a birthday party at a guy who I deployed with's house. And so we were going over there for the birthday party. Right before the party started, she told me, hey, my cousin's coming. She's a really good girl. Please don't try to date her because I know you'll break your heart. <laughs> and I said, okay. And come to find out, she had told my wife, you can date any guy here that you want. My wife was coming out of a bad relationship. Just please don't date Jordan because he'll break your heart. That's all he does to girls he breaks okay. their hearts. And so I thought challenge accepted. I'm going to try to find a way to uh, date her cousin since she told me not to. Okay. So
0: th- and then not long after that. Yeah.
1: So three days later, we started dating. Okay. Um, that whole night, my focus was I'm going to find a way to make this girl date me. Like that was my goal because her, she told me not to. So three days later, we were dating. About a month, month and a half later, we got engaged. Okay. I had bought a wedding ring because it was on sale. thought it was a great deal. Didn't even uh, <laughs> know my wife at the time. And then we were talking about engagement rings. And she said one night, just joking like you do whenever you're dating, hey, let me show you the style of rings that I like. And I said, well, I've already got a ring bought. You don't need to show I me anything. I got it on sale. And yeah, so I then she, she was called, impressed by that. So she called my bluff, saying, no, you don't have one. <laughs> so when I pulled it out, I thought, well, I guess this is a good time to propose. So we'd been dating about a month, month and a half at this point, And I proposed kind of. Kind okay. of crazy. Okay. move things along fast. That was quickly.
0: Yeah, it went, went quickly. Yeah.
1: And so August of that year, about six, seven months after we had met, we had planned our wedding to get married, went ahead and got married. So we hadn't even been together, known each other a year. And then about a month after we got married, we got pregnant with Caroline. Okay. The, it definitely happened fast.
0: Who is now involved in our student ministry yep. here at the church. Yeah, great. Caroline's now in the junior high. That's so. crazy. Full circle, full circle. Here, yeah. Right. And so um, you guys get married and eventually you make your way back to Oklahoma. Yep. And so okay.
1: we got married and whenever we had first got married, I was still searching for the brotherhood and doing the things. My wife was sort of raised in church, just going as she pleased, not necessarily yeah. being forced to go. But once we got married, it was a priority for me to go because I had made my promise to God to start changing my life. My uh, Once we had Caroline, it kind of change things even more mm-hmm. like, Holy cow. I know the things that my mom did for me. And so then we started even going on Wednesdays. Once Caroline was born, we were really involved with the Baptist church in Louisiana. Okay. Um, this really helped Nikki a lot. I think she didn't know a whole lot of Bible at that point. She had kind of just done the fun youth group stuff up right. until then, but I still wasn't hundred percent finding the brotherhood that I had before. And so at this point I, I had joined a motorcycle club, um, Found the brotherhood there. It was honestly one of the best brotherhoods I've been a part of. They did lots of really good things for the community. They did lots of really good things for people that were had issues, whether it was cancer or car wrecks or their house had burned down. They would do fundraisers, but they were doing good things just to do good things. They weren't doing them in the name of the Lord or doing them for the right
0: purpose. Did you ever see that, um, like, it fall short in some ways? You know, we we a lot of people experience these type of other communities we'll just say generically, right and uh, some some people would like even call this kind of their church experience with these other groups. Like, yeah. what was it about it that really fell short that that really only the church seems to be able to to be real community for people.
1: Yeah, it just seems like there's always a ulterior motive, I think. okay I think every group has some sort of a motivation behind it where the church really doesn't. The church's motivation is to live in community, enjoy, and worship God. There's not a ulterior motive that
0: benefits someone else. Yeah, there's a, there's a different—the motivation is the Lord himself yeah. rather than us then and us. even one another, Yeah, right? Even caring for one another, it, it goes outside of that, right?
1: Yeah, because all we're going to do is fail each other. I mean, that's just human nature. We will succeed eight out of ten times if we're lucky. Okay. So it's just— Setting ourselves up for failure
0: okay, so you' you're, you're in doing the motorcycle thing, um, find this brotherhood in there which seems to be this this common theme you end up you're married now, have a young daughter um, you're moving up to Oklahoma um, you end up uh, on staff being a youth minister to church yeah, and that's how many years ago now so two
1: thousand eleven okay we moved back to Oklahoma. Um, to take a job, and then the job ended up falling through. Um, definitely a God thing. And so we were going to church at Glencoe, which was my family church on my mom's side. Where... Which is,
0: I remember you talking about that years and years. When you were a young man, like yeah. in six, five, fifth, sixth grade, so you, would, I you guys would go to Glencoe. my first sermon at eight years old. I okay. preached my first sermon at Glencoe There church. you
1: go, it, at eight. Yeah. Awesome. It was on uh, King Josiah, <laughs> the eight-year-old king. <laughs>
0: uh, direct application. Yep. There. I think it so, was seven minutes. So you moved back here 2011, you're working there. Um, and then also doing construction on the side.
1: Yeah. Uh, small churches can't afford much of a staff. And yeah. so the work there was basically free. I got a yep. small, small stipend. So I had to find something to pay the bills and support yep. my family. And so construction just kind of fell into my lap slowly. Uh, 2013, I guess, or 2012, I started going back and forth to Haiti with my uncle, doing right. some work over there, and that's what started to transition me out of youth ministry. I started spending a whole lot of time away from the church doing other things with the mission and then okay. speaking at other churches on behalf of the mission. Okay. And so after about four, four and a half years, I stepped away from the youth ministry position there.
0: Okay. And working with this mission in Haiti, you're also doing construction on the side. Yeah. Um, you guys started attending Sunnybrook how many years ago?
1: So right after I quit be- being a youth minister, yeah, I thought it would be good for the new person stepping in if I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. The first few weeks that they had stepped in, every, every person that had a question or had something, they would come straight to me. They kept telling them, well, this is the way that Jordan did things. Sure, and right, so I right. just thought, even if we step away for six months and then come back, it would be good. So we started going to, um, Fairfax First Christian Church, where my grandparents went up there, they okay. were getting in worse health, and so we started going up there to see them on the weekends. And after any time we would miss, we would come to Sunnybrook just to have a different feel, kind of blend into the crowd and nobody notice you kind right. of place. Right. And uh, probably March of 2019, my grandma told us to quit coming to church there. And I thought, what is wrong with you telling me to quit coming to church? And she said, it's too far away for you to get your kids involved in the youth group like they should be because they can't make it here on Wednesdays after they get out of school. You need to start going to that church in Stillwater that you guys go to when you visit because I always hear you talk good things whenever you come here after going there.
0: Okay, cool. And so I said, yes, ma'am. And we Followed started going the to to the instructions Sunnybrook. of your grandmother. Yeah. And now you're here. And now we're here. Why are you here, Jordan? My grandma told me to go yeah, here. My grandma said this I had is, to. This is how we ended <laughs> up here. You know, I think we might make some better decisions in life if we just did what our grandmothers told us to do most of the time. Yeah, it has worked out great. Yeah. So, So, um, man, I just want to tell you, um, just first of all, you do a great job here. You do a really good job. Um, Second of all, it's just so encouraging to hear your story and to be able to see, I guess, really full circle, um, to be able to know you a little bit as a fifth or sixth grader, a little quiet guy. And then now it's just so encouraging to see you and what God has done with you and what God has done in your family and through Nikki. You have a great wife. You have great girls. Um, Man, it is a testament to God's goodness and His grace. And at the same time, a faithful grandmother that told you what to do and a faithful mother that continued to insert herself into your life and just say, look, I'm not going away. And this is who we believe the Lord is, and this is what he calls us to be and to do. And uh, I think there can be a, a lesson for that in all of us of a persistence when people are going astray, when it looks like, wow, like things are going out of control in his life. No, we're going to continue to be faithful to God. Yeah. We're going to continue to you know, pray for Jordan, to continue to be insert ourselves into his life, and just to see what God does over time. And so I want to tell you, as one Christian man to another, uh, I love you, and this church loves you. And we love your family. And we're just so grateful to God that you're here and for what he's done in your life and that you guys just continue to respond to him. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. I hope this can be an
1: encouragement to parents who might have a kid or a grandkid that has fallen astray or is starting to fall astray to just continue to pray over them, continue to speak Scripture into them, continue to read Scripture over them, It will stick. Even if it doesn't happen now, eventually Mm -hmm. they'll come back to it. And so just continue to pray for them. Don't lose hope. And just stay steadfast in, in the work of the Lord.
0: Amen.